Welcome to episode number 83 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today's episode we're talking about dust explosion hazards in textile industries. So over the last number of episodes, throughout the last couple of months, we've had a lot of case studies talking about dust explosion and fire incidents across various industries. I want to start giving some other episodes where we're covering more of an industry assessment. So looking at the data that's available through researchers that are looking at broader scope instead of individual incidents, you know, what's, what do things look like across a broad industry? There's a couple of reasons that I think this is really important. Case studies are really good to illustrate, you know, what can happen, but these industry assessments really give us a, a better idea of what might happen in the future. So a case study, we're really looking backwards, where an industry assessment, we're, we're using that information from the history and then looking forwards. And generally, this leaves a lot of open questions, and you'll see some of those and hear some of those in this episode. But the big point here is that if we are looking forward like this, maybe we can prevent a major explosion from happening in the future. So this current industry assessment that I'll be talking through is based on a paper that was published by Dr. Luca Marmo, Ada Ferry, and Enrico Danzi in the Journal of Loss Prevention in the Process Industries. This is in 2019, and it is volume 62, page 103, 935, and the title of the paper is Dust Explosion Hazards in the Textile Industry, or Dust Explosion Hazard in the Textile Industry, actually. So if you want a link to this paper um, on the publisher website, you can get it in the show notes for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 83. And we'll be talking about this, this concept of dust explosion hazards in textile industries. So there's a couple of reasons why this is a good place to start with industry assessments. One is that these materials aren't traditionally or aren't commonly even seen as combustible dust by many people in, in industry. So it'll be interesting to see as we go through the material collected here and the case studies and the even explosibility testing that it is indeed explosible under under lots of circumstances. And we'll talk about what the different kinds of materials are and what those sort of circumstances are in this episode as well. One of the big reasons is that the researchers here did a substantial amount of work to collect and summarize and analyze the existing literature. They also went and provided additional testing to support and further develop understanding where there were gaps. And it addresses a lot of the common objections I hear about different industries more broadly. So if we want to go and, and assess different industries, when we go to look at it, we'll say a new industry or an industry where it's not commonly thought of as a having combustible dust hazards, we hear a lot of things. And textile industries is one of those industries I've heard these sort of things. So we always start at the first level, you know, level one, this material is not flammable or it's not deflecrable or it can't explode. So if you go do a test in the experimental chamber in the 20 liter chamber and find out it can explode, then you kind of move to level two. And level two is, well, it's not a flammable or explosible at the conditions that we use. There's too much inorganic matter in there. Um, we only have fires at this facility. We've never seen explosions. So if you go kind of move forward and show a, an incident that's happened in a similar facility in similar operating conditions, you might come across these sort of things like, well, we have a really open environment. There are no um, confinement. We have a humidity-controlled environment, so there's not a chance to have an explosion here. All the way up to, well, we've never seen that happen at this facility. There's no history of combustible dust explosions. This might be true within a very specific site. They may go 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years without having an explosion, but it doesn't mean that the same material and the same kind of processing operation isn't having explosions elsewhere in the world. So that's why it's really helpful to take these broad view looks across broad industries and see what's actually happened in these type of facilities 
so that we know beforehand, before something happens at, uh, you know, the facility that we're dealing with that's right in front of us at the moment, try to stop one of those large scale explosions from happening. And I really like this comment that's in the paper by the authors, and it is, there's a diffuse feeling that the risk of dust explosions in the textile industry is limited or even negligible. As we'll see in some of the case studies we talk about here, and we'll, we'll mention the case studies briefly because this, this episode is more about the, the broader industry assessment, but it's not negligible. Explosions are happening in these injuries and they're, they're causing loss. They're causing loss of products, loss of facilities, and unfortunately loss of life and limb as well. So before we get into the assessment part, then I want to go through these textiles a little bit. So the authors in the paper go through and break textiles into three different kinds regenerated textiles, synthetic textiles, and natural textiles. Natural textiles would include wool, cotton, silk, and linen. Synthetic textiles would include nylon, polyester, and acrylic, things that are made out of plastic. And then these regenerated textiles would include fibers that are, are derived from natural resources, like wood pulp. So generally, you'd apply a chemical or a mechanical process. It's used to obtain cellulose-based fibers, would be these regenerated textiles. So you have these three categorizations of different types of textiles. And we tend to see the explosions happening across all three. But in, in this uh, paper specifically, we talk about uh, the natural and the synthetic textiles more than, than the regenerated textiles. What does the typical processing operation look like in a textile facility? So it's generally a combination of opening, carding, combing, and spinning the textiles. So opening would actually be taking the compact bale or the ball of material that's brought to the facility and opening that up. And this can be a dusty process because all the stuff that's in that bale then is going to be released as you start to, to open the bale up. Carding is starting to draw out the material into linear threads. This is usually done with different rotating drums of different sizes and they have small metal teeth on them. This helps to start aligning all the fibers, start to get you know, long threads together that can be spun later. The combing step is further drying out the material, and this is where generally the, the rocks, the inorganic material, the knots, the knolls, the lumps, the smaller um, burrs and things that are in the fibers themselves and in the textiles themselves start to get pulled out just through this combing process. So carding and combing are kind of similar, except you know, carding is really the first step, starting to get the material in one kind of linear thread, and then combing is more fine detail where you're starting to pull out these impurities as well. And then this will prep everything so that you can start the spinning process. So this includes stretching and twisting, winding the fibers to make threads or yarns, making the individual threads for the textiles. There's many other steps that could be included, including washing, oiling, drying, different steps depending on what kind of textiles, what kind of threads are being made. But this is the general process, opening, carding, combing, and spinning with some sort of auxiliary processes that might be going on depending on the thread. So in the paper, they go through some case studies of dust explosions in textile industries. So I'll just read through a couple of these. So the first one they mention is a linen dust explosion in 1987 in Harbid, China. And in this explosion, four to five dozen people were killed, over 170 injured in what was a very large-scale large, large scale dust explosion. And I'll read just from the paper here. A series of explosions occurred during the night of the 15th of March, 1987, in a linen, linen manufacturing factory in Harbin, in China. The series of explosions were so violent that the seismographic records registered nine peaks, according to a primary explosion with eight secondary explosions. 
The incident cost the life of 58 workers and injured 177 others and damaged 13,000 square meters of the factory. In a paper looking at the case study by Bowen in 1988, it was determined that the explosion originated in one of the nine dust collection units. The ignition source was not determined. The authors hypothesized an electrostatic discharge or presence of a localized glowing nest of material ignited the explosion. The explosion propagated from the dust collector through the duct work and involved all the other units in the carting section. The explosion itself, the pressure from it, relifted dust layers that had settled on the floor and created favorable conditions for secondary explosions. This led to further explosions in the carting and spinning sections. Another four explosions were then recorded in the underground textile stock areas. The entire event lasted for eight seconds. And again, from the seismographic images, they had nine distinct peaks. So one primary explosion followed by eight secondary explosions as it propagated throughout the facility. Um, all involving this linen dust that accumulated from these carding, spinning, and storage processes. Another case study they bring up in this paper is a nylon flock explosion in Italy in 2001. And this was the case study that we covered back in episode 76 of the podcast that started in a dryer after it had been shut off so that they could retie threads, started in the dryer, propagate back to the dust collector, and then propagate into the other dryers and blow the side of one of the vents. And I think in that explosion it, and flash fires that ensued, I think that injured three workers. They also talk about a flock fire and explosion in Massachusetts in 1995 at Malden Mills. And this explosion and fire uh, injured 27 people. An author by the name of Frank in 2004 described the flock explosion, which damaged over 40% of the plant. That author states the explosion had been caused by electrical spark provoked by the electrostatic grid system at the beginning of the production line. And this was used, this was the place where the flock was applied to the cloth backing. So if you remember back in episode 78, we talked about how flock fibers are applied to a main core thread to get this, uh, this flocking material that's used for soundproofing and, and things like that. So this would be a case of synthetic fibers made from nylon or plastics or polyester, where the, the case study at China is more of a natural material that is uh, linen-based. The last case study that they talk about in this paper is a wool dust explosion, also in Italy, in 2001. This was studied by two authors, one with an Italian name that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, P-I-C-C-I-N-I-N-I, in 2008, and Salatino and their co-workers in 2012. So this facility carried out washing, carding, and wool combing activities. Some of the workplace was very dusty with high levels of dust containing vegetable residues, the workplace was supplied with fans to prevent dust from settling. However, smoldering combustion started in the basement of the facility where several filtering cells were present. And they have a picture of the filtering cells. It's where the, the wool burr, the burrs from the wool were collected from the combing process. They show a picture before and after the explosion. So you have this big pile of burrs and wood material and dusty kind of crud uh, beforehand. And after the explosion, that uh, whole area is uh, completely gone with all the material as well. In the assessment, they say the powerful deflagration occurred while three workers were trying to identify the origin of um, the smoldering mass of material. The deflagration provoked a two, 20 to 30 meter high flash fire, which was fueled by layers of dust in the workplace and lifted by a primary blast. We'll talk a bit about this a little bit later, but 
there's a couple of interesting things here. One, wool itself is generally considered not a flammable material. It's considered flame resistant because it's used in, you know, flame protective garments. But in this case, it was actually the impurities that I collected and the oil vegetable residue on the wool that fueled the explosion, uh, fueled this dust explosion. Not necessarily the wool itself, but these impurities. They did mention this was a, a very large flash fire. So it suggests that this is one of these open facilities that's, you know, not very closed in. So that's where you have this, this saying that there's not a threat of an explosion because the facility is very open. Well, you can still have a very large flash fire, especially if there's fugitive dust accumulated throughout the facility. And a 20, 30 meter flash fire is, you know, enough to, uh, to cause a very large explosion. In this case, the deflagration propagated to the carting department on the upper floor. And at the end of the day, 11 workers were injured and three of those were injured fatally in this large-scale deflagration and flash fire. From our work in the incident database, we've certainly seen a number of fires in cotton industries. We have seen explosions in these synthetic materials, these flocking processes, uh, mostly related with the dryers, similar to the, the previous episode, episode 76. Um, we've seen that happen here in North America as well. And there are cases of inspections done by OSHA that have resulted in citations, um, such as a in a cotton ginning facility in 2018, where the inspection detail says the employer did not furnish employment in a place of employment, which is free from recognized hazards that were causing or likely to cause death or serious injury. Um, this violation occurred on March 13, 2018. Employees were exposed to hazards from the accumulation of dust generated from cotton ginning operations where the housekeeping was less than adequate. So this would be a case where there's a lot of fugitive dust around and you'd have these large deflagrations, these large flash fires or these large explosions propagating throughout the facility. We have seen some OSHA citations on that here in North America as well. So reading through the paper, uh, Dr. Marmo and his co-authors make some really interesting points on these textile facilities, specifically with different materials. So we're talking about flock, they say this is the most well-known explosion risk profile. This is likely because the same authors had reported on it previously in their, their paper that we talked about in episode 76 of the podcast. We've actually even had students from Italy travel to Canada, to the university that I, I was working at to do testing on these nylon flocks. So I've seen firsthand them load it up, uh, put it in the front of their chamber and, and do explosion testing. And it, uh, it explodes. <laughs> you get, you get a, a maximum pressure and a maximum rate of pressurized curve of that material, same as you would of any other material. It's kind of interesting though, because it's sort of light and fluffy material, it's hard to get it into the 20 liter chamber. You put in the normal standard reservoir, it's our time getting through the tube and into the chamber. Um, so you have to actually go about getting that into the chamber a different way. Generally, you'll take it and place it on top of the dispersion nozzle, blast air through it to get up in the air. So it's a non-standard test. But if somebody that's not you know, that familiar with the testing process goes to do this type of non-flock explosion testing, they may include that they may determine that's not explosible because they didn't get the material into the chamber correctly. So it does take some expertise to do testing on these types of we'll call them non-traditional materials. When talking about wool, they, they mentioned a couple interesting things. I, I talked about this already, but wool itself is considered flame resistant. However, we know that we have industries that are, textile industries that are handling wool that have had dust explosions, like the one that we talked about earlier in this podcast episode. So the consideration here is the impurities, the, you know, the burrs, the other materials that you're pulling out, and also the 
vegetable residues and oils and things that are also included in the material, this dust that you're collecting, and generally this will go to the dust collection system or settle out in the ambient as huge of dust, is that flammable? Sure, your bulk material, your wool is flame resistant, but do you have an explosion hazard that's then collecting up in your facility? If you don't think that any of your material is combustible, then you can have this issue where it builds up for a long time and you have a large explosion. They also make an interesting note about cotton. Cotton has no reports of large-scale dust explosions in the literature, lots of fires, but no dust explosions. Even though if you kind of step back and look at all the materials, it's the most readily burnable. If you just take cotton and try to set it on fire, it's quite easy to, to ignite cotton on fire. So it's interesting to have this kind of juxtaposition where material ignites easily, but we don't see these explosions happening in industry. There's experimental testing that has been done out of a- a- Texas A&M University on dust from cotton bales. The minimum explosive concentration is quite high, and it has been suggested that you don't reach these high levels in facilities. However, I don't know about that. <laughs> if you have fugitive dust accumulation, I'm sure you can get a lot of fuel that builds up in one space. I just have a hard time believing that you wouldn't ever have enough fuel to, to meet the, the MEC, the material. Whether or not you can get that dispersed in the air and, and that sort of thing is, is a question. Um, it doesn't seem to have at least been reported. It might be a question of, of when, when we see one of those explosions happening. And actually, it might also be a question of different parts of your facility, which we'll talk about in the next couple of minutes in this episode as well. So from their analysis, they did some further testing. They looked at these materials and came up with five observations for textiles. First observation is that we, we mentioned a couple times already is that you need to consider both the bulk material and the impurities that are there and the additives like oils or vegetable residue to determine whether or not the material is explosible. At the end of the day, it's best to get your material tested instead of trying to make a broad sweeping conclusion without getting it tested and then being wrong and having an explosion in a certain part of your facility. Second observation is that carting and combing are generally the dustiest processes. So when they went and looked through at different facilities, different case studies that had happened, and in their own personal experience looking at these facilities, they found that the carting and combing generates the most fugitive dust. That's where the most fugitive dust collects is around this machinery. This is followed by opening the bales, which can also be a dusty process depending on how much uh, fugitive material is inside the bales as well. So this is where your dust collection pickups are likely to be included if you're using that to mitigate the fugitive dust, then you need to be really careful about A, fugitive dust accumulation, whether or not the dust collection systems are working correctly, but also making sure that you don't have things like dust settling out in the ductwork or around the ducts, or even that you have exposure protection in the dust collector as well. And all these things contribute to this large-scale explosion that we talked about in China earlier in this episode. Observation number three is that samples from different areas of the facility will have quite different size and explosibility characteristics. So this is a really important one. You might sample a dust from a certain area and determine it's not explosible when really you do have dust elsewhere that is quite explosible. And they show a number of examples that are pretty interesting here. They show an image of dust collected from a textile facility. They don't say what kind of material it is, but near a brushing machine, then also in the brushing department. So near the brushing machine, the, the material had very fibrous natures. It was wrapped, it was wound, it was big clumps. Um, you know, it doesn't look like a dust, but the same material from the brushing department, you know, from the fugitive dust that's collected is very fine. Somewhere, you know, less than 50 micron, around 10 micron, it looks like from the images they have. It's very fine. It doesn't look, you know, fibrous. It looks just as spherical as a, a combustible dust, other combustible dust that you might see. So from, from the same department, just pulling from the machine 
or pulling from elsewhere in the Bible, you have these quite different characteristics. Then the authors also reference a recent work by uh, Dr. Marmo and, and his co-workers in 2018, where they did a collaboration with several companies in a textile district in Italy. They considered over 100 dust samples from different companies. They looked at the particle size from different parts of the facility. So they looked at the twisting, the weaving, the winding parts of the spinning operations. They looked at the ambient fugitive dust and the dust collected around the machinery. And the, the mean dust particle varies depending on the type of operation, where twisting generally has the, the smallest particle size, and the combustible dust around the machinery has the, the largest mean particle size, followed by the, that of the ambient fugitive dust, which has the second smallest particle size. The fourth observation the authors make are that textiles tend to settle in layers, which is kind of interesting. So you might get a, a full layer of fine material, then layer of larger material, and then another layer of even larger material. What they found here that this is due one to this large degree of cohesion from the flocking material because they're linear fibers. They tend to kind of form these nets when they settle in layers. So then these nets sort of form in ductwork on top of beams, on top of equipment, and the dispersibility is is quite low of these layers of combustible dust. So this may actually hide the hazard because you have the smaller particle size that's trapped in this matrix. If you do get a primary explosion or you do get a process upset that then is able to loft that dust in the air, the fines will stay up in the air, and that's what can lead to these large explosions. So you might have a case where you have you know, a fire, a fire, a fire, a fire, because these layers are just igniting, and you think you don't have an explosion hazard because you've never seen it happen until that dust gets lofted in the air and all those fines become untrapped from that matrix, then you have that large-scale explosion. Same thing if you do testing here, if you do sampling incorrectly, you may just take the full sample and you may conclude that's not explosible when it's really those fines that will contribute to that explosion. The authors really talk about this way the textiles tend to settle in layers as being one of the big differences between combustible dust and textile facilities and sort of our traditional spherical particle combustible dust. Then expanding on this point, the last observation they make is that textiles are, um, they use the word non-traditional. I believe this is from the work of Dr. Paul Amiot. Uh, talking about dust that don't fall under the classical definitions of spherical, of particle size below some value. It's important to note that the new definition of combustible dust in NFPA 652 would include these materials. The definition is a finely divided combustible particulate solid that presents a flash fire hazard or explosion hazard when suspended in air or the process-specific oxidizing medium over a range of concentrations. So there was an older definition that included passing through a specific sieve size. That's been now removed because of things like this. You have these fibers. They may now pass through the sieve because they're long in one direction. However, if they're, they're narrow in another direction, they might have an explosion. So one of the reasons of maybe removing that type of sieving analysis, terminal combustible dust, is this. I've actually seen other definitions that even go as far as saying whether or not the material is combustible regardless of size or shape it can still be classified as combustible dust. So that's it for this episode. We've been talking about dust explosion hazards in the textile industries. We talked about what the different materials, uh, types of textiles there are, regenerated fibers, natural fibers, and synthetic fibers. We talked about some case studies demonstrating some of the explosion histories within natural and uh, synthetic materials. We talked about some of the considerations that the authors found from these type of operations, 
what parts of the operation, carding and combing, create the most dust, differences between the dust that's produced in some of the machinery versus ambient dust, which can be a lot more explosive, a lot more drier. Um, there are a lot of important considerations we've seen. And again, the reason that I did this episode was one, to share the great work these researchers did more broadly. In their paper, they actually talk about more of the testing that they did on these specific materials from the samples that they collected in different areas, which is uh, interesting to see as well. The second reason was around these things I mentioned at the outset. It's kind of different levels of awareness for the combustible dust and maybe even different levels of defense on why you don't need to protect from combustible dust, starting at, you know, the materials not flammable or deflagrable. Well, does that include the impurities? Does that include oils? Does that include additives? Is it all the time not flammable? You need to really think about these things. The ones that aren't flammable are actually can be more dangerous because it might be 10 years before you have an explosion. And if you do have an explosion at that point, then you might have a lot of fuel enough to destroy the entire facility. Second level is, you know, okay, well, maybe it's flammable, explosive under laboratory conditions, but not under the conditions that we're using them. There's too much inorganic matters, too much rocks in the material. I don't know. We've only experienced fires, not explosions. This could be things like we talked about this, this settling, how flocking material or fibers tend to settle in these layers and the small particle size are sort of trapped in the layers. So you're having these fires, that should really be taken as a, as a near miss, especially if you can determine that your material is a combustible dust, if it has explosion hazard. Um, so if you haven't tested your dust and you're having fires, those should be considered near misses in my mind. Um, certainly if you, you have tested your material and it is a combustible dust, a fire is also a near miss, especially in these type of flocculent and fibrous materials and textiles where you have this settling out in layers that are sort of prone to catching fire not that prone to be dispersed until they do get dispersed and then you have an explosion. Third level was, okay, well, we have material that might be combustible, but we're in an open environment. We don't have confinement. Maybe it's humidity, humidity controlled. And these, we can really point back to some of these case studies. If you have an open environment, but you have enough fugitive dust to have a 20 or 30 meter cloud, that flash fire is not going to care. <laughs> One, you'd have to have, even if you had any building around it, you're probably going to get pressure build up in that building. Um, but two, that fireball is, is enough thermal radiation to do some serious damage to the facility, to the workers, um, to the product, and, you know, cause, cause a lot of loss. Uh, so that's something to consider. And then the last level is, okay, well, all this might be true, but we've never had an explosion here. And really, you just need to start looking outside your own specific site and say, well, okay, have we ever had an explosion in cotton handling industries? Well, yes, we talked about some earlier. We had them in linen. Yes, we talked about some earlier. We had them in synthetic materials. Yes, certainly. We had them in regenerated textiles. Um, not one that we had reported here, but it's you know generated from from wood dust, which we all know is exposable from a, a long history and tradition there. So kind of check, 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 check. Even though you don't have a history at your facility or even in your country having one of the explosions, you need to look outside and say, well, this is happening in other countries and maybe we can stop it from happening here before the explosion actually occurs. And again, that's the reason to do these industry assessments is to try to get ahead of the curve, not wait until the explosion happens and then assessing it. But can we can we open some of these questions? Can we get them answered beforehand so we can prevent one of these major explosions from happening before uh, before it does happen? So that's it for this episode of the podcast. I am enjoying bringing these different types of podcast episodes. Of course, we have interviews with experts. Um, we have solo you know research episodes, but also case studies, these industry assessments and really trying to go about preventing these large-scale explosions before they happen at facilities handling combustible dust. So I want to thank you for listening. We have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you do in industries handling combustible dust.
around the world in the jobs that you're doing every day. 